Okay. Welcome back. This is session number four out of five of Food for Thought, the Torah of Eating here at Web Yeshiva with me, Uri Cohen. And this session, we are doing, once again, three different topics, but these three topics are all related, uh, which is it's nice when that works out. Uh, the, uh, the title is, How Do We Make Our Table Hashem's Table? How do we make our table into the table of God, a spiritual thing? And this is going to uh, to be one way of, of of answering, going back to, remember what we've been doing all along? We've been going through some of Rabbi Salvechik's answers to the question that he posed uh, in his essay in called An Exalted Evening, the Seder Night, in the book Festival of Freedom, of how... How can human eating be elevated uh, over the uh, eating that's done by animals? So his answer number three uh, is that an animal uh, eats alone. An animal, its eating is just for itself. Uh, Rabbi Salvechik is going to suggest, and we'll see, how he's going to tie in, uh, tie that into this topic, the third distinction between eating at a human level and that of the animal, man must not eat alone. The question is, what does that, what does that mean in practice? So let's, uh, let's see the way that uh, there are two main sources in Chazal that quote the same pasuk, the same idea, uh, the, the, same, the same drasha, the same midrashic interpretation of, uh, of the pasuk that, uh, about, uh, about a table the significance of the table, but they go in different directions. So let's take a look at that uh, right now, starting in uh, source source number one. Uh, right. Amar Rav Yehuda. Second. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, starting on, on Dafnun Dawud Amad Bet. Amar Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda said, Shoshutvarim, there are three things that Hamarich Bahen, Marichin Yamavu Shnotav Shal Adam. That somebody who does these things long, somebody takes a long time to do these things, relatively long time, then the person deserves to have their days and years lengthened as well. Mida connected mida as a reward for doing this. Uh, what these three things done long, uh, and the funny thing about these three is that uh, they don't seem to be the same kind of uh, lengthening. Hamarich if somebody prays. At great length. If somebody stays at his table, at his table for eating, uh, stays there a long time. And if somebody stays in the bathroom, the toilet, for a long time. So these, uh, it's, they, these don't seem to be similar to each other. There's somewhat of a discussion in the Gemara itself and then the commentaries. We're just going to focus on the middle one. What's, it, what's the idea that, it doesn't say if you eat, if you take a long time to eat. It says if you take a long time at your table. Uh, so what, why? So the Gemara answers, If somebody takes a long time at their table, they deserve to have a long life because Because we're talking about somebody who stays uh, at their table, perhaps a poor person will show up and then the and then you the person staying at the table can uh, can give the poor person food if somebody stays at their table extends their meal not to eat but in order to have the opportunity to give food to a poor person that's worth being rewarded with uh with long life in which case but if at least if you take this in the most uh limited sense well then that's not so relevant because most of us uh don't have that kind of table. We don't have that kind of access to poor people. Poor people are not showing up asking for a meal. But we'll see. We'll see that, that it's possible to extend this. And what's the source? What's the source that of the significance of, uh, of how the table, doing something good for other people with your table, will uh, grant you reward? Because it says in Yechezkel, Perak Mem Aleph, Hamizbeach eats. The uh, the uh, the altar is or will be made out of wood, shalosh amot gova, and it will be 
uh, or was, it's a prophecy, uh, three, three amot high. Okay. A wooden altar does not necessarily correspond to the, uh, the Mishkan or the Beit HaMikdash as we know it. A wooden altar, three amot high. Uchtiv, and it says, in the very same Pasuk, not somewhere else, like the next words, by the bear Eli, and he said to me, this is the table in front of God. So the Gemara asks, what are you talking about? The verse starts by talking about an altar, and it ends by talking about a table. And it sounds like there's only one thing here. How can you refer to an altar as this table? So the Gemara answers, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazar, the Amri Tarvaihu, both Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazar said, Kolzman, as long as Shabbat HaMikdash Kayam, as long as the temple uh, existed, Mizbeach Mechaper Al Yisrael, it was the altar in the, uh, in the temple that atoned for the Jews collectively. Vachshav, but now that we no longer have a temple, Shochano Shoadam Mechaper Alav. It is a person's own table, the table for eating on, that that brings the person, or can bring the person, atonement. Okay, and then that that's the end of the Gemara. So, so on the one hand, we're not getting. It sounds like not uh, outside of Yom Kippur, we don't have collective atonement, but there can still be personal atonement. So, if there's personal atonement through your table. That, that was a statement about Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazar, and the Gemara uses that statement to say, ah, that would, that would explain why somebody who stays a long time at their table in order to give uh, food to the poor, they deserve to live a long life because the table is atoning for them. These are not the same statement, but the Gemara uh, puts them together. Shulchan Adam Mechaperalav, that the, the table... And as far as I know, everybody agrees that the table here is the table that you eat at. The table can atone for you. Through what? So that, that's the question. If, if we just had that statement on its own, I'd say, well, because we do lots of mitzvot at the table. We, we say brachot before, we say brachot after, uh, we wash our hands before if it's uh, bread, and we wash our hands after, according to the opinion that we do in Maya Machronim. And then we kosher food, and... Uh, on Shabbat, there are mitzvot, etc. But we're not talking about mitzvot here. We're talking about something that's above and beyond. So what's above and beyond that somebody does at their table that should uh, bring them atonement? So the answer, the only answer that we've seen so far, but we're going to see another one, is if your table is not just an opportunity to eat, but also an opportunity to give, to give to the poor. And from here, I want to compare what the Rambam says about eating on Yom Tov. This is a famous Rambam. You've certainly heard this before. I want to connect this and point out something about the Rambam that's not so obvious. This is after the Rambam says that there's a mitzvah to eat and drink on Yom Tov. When the person eats and drinks, you're obligated to feed, to give food to the person who's converted to Judaism, to the orphan and the widow. And that's straight out of the Pasuk in, uh, in Dvarim Tetzayin. Im sha'ar ha'aniyim ha'umlawim. Along with the other poor people who are poor. Now the Ramam uses two different words here. Ani is somebody who is financially poor. But umlaw is the other type of poor in English. As in, you, if somebody has no money, you say... Wow, that you know, uh, people have no money. We say those are those are, are poor people. But if somebody might have money, but they're in a terrible situation, you say, "Wow, those poor people." That doesn't mean they're they they have no money. It means that they are in a bad situation. So that's umlal. So the assumption is, or was, at the time of Tanakh, that who are the people who are. Uh, probably both poor and in a bad situation, somebody who has no family because they uh, converted uh, from an, a different uh, religion, somebody who uh, doesn't have a, a parent, a, a child, so, assuming and doesn't have parents, uh, um, a woman who's, who's become a widow. You have to give them food because they are, especially on Yom Tov, they are poor and poor. Aval. 
But the Rambam says, this is a famous part. If somebody locks the doors of his courtyard, so nobody can get in. And on Yom Tov, the person eats and drinks. With their family, with the children and, uh, and the spouse. And does not, chooses not to give any food or, uh, or drink. You see how the Rambam equates this with the phrase from before. The people who are poor and bitter of spirit. People who are uh, poor people. Like they have, they have real problems. If you choose not to do that, but only eat by, your, by yourself. Not literally by yourself, but with your family. This is not the simcha of a mitzvah. The mitzvah of eating Yom Tov. That's what it looks like. No, Ella Simchat Kreso. That's only the Simcha, the joy of your stomach. That's you are your enjoyment is limited to your belly. That's bad. We want to avoid that. There's something wrong with that. Notice that the, the Rambam is elaborating on something which is a mitzvah. The mitzvah is to enjoy Yom Tov. How do you enjoy Yom Tov? The assumption is that you have uh, festive meals. But the Rambam adds something which does not appear in uh, in other sources. And he says, there's something, even if you're, even though you're, it would seem that you're doing a mitzvah, you're not really doing the mitzvah. If you're eating only by yourself and there, there are poor people and poor people who are waiting to be fed and you choose not to, not to feed them, that's not a simcha of a mitzvah. I would, I would have said, you're doing the mitzvah of Simchat Yom Tov, and you're not doing the mitzvah of Tzedakah. The Rambam says, uh-uh, you can't do one without the other. It's not good enough. Why is it not good enough? The Rambam doesn't elaborate. Meaning, I would have said it. Okay, it's not such a great idea, but why should it impact on your fulfillment of the mitzvah of Simchat Yom Tov? The Rambam says, Einzo Simchat Mitzvah. Uh, if you if you had asked me to formulate, I would have said it's not the best type of simchat mitzvah. The Rambam says no, it is not simchat mitzvah. Period. That's the question, and there are different ways to uh, um, uh, to answer this question. I see that uh, Rebecca wrote that in uh, in Navi it repeatedly mentions people would rejoice at meals without feeding the poor and the widows. Uh, wouldn't that be where the Rambam gets his idea? Yeah, it would be the way the Rambam gets his idea. The question is. How does, why does the Rambam kind of insert it into the halacha? Because there are a lot of things that Nevi'im complain about that, that people are doing that are not, that are not just, that are not, are not uh, good enough. Uh, but the Rambam tends not to quote that in the Mishnah Torah because the Mishnah Torah tends to be straight halacha. It would seem that not only is it a bad character trait, to choose not to feed the poor and the the, um, the people who are low of, of spirit, um, but it also uh, shows that there's something wrong with your eating. There's something wrong with your mitzvah. You're not doing the mitzvah properly. So there are different ways to answer this. I just want to present one, and that is maybe, maybe, the Rambam has in mind something along the lines of what Rabbi Salvechik has been focusing on, which is that eating that humans do is technically the same thing that animals do. So if you are eating on Yom Tov and you are eating not because you feel like eating, but because it's part of enjoying the Yom Tov, it is, is in a, it is in a vodat Hashem, you're serving God through being happy on this day because God said it's a day to be happy. Okay, well then, how is your eating different from that of an animal? So the Rambam only gives one example of this, but if somebody has the opportunity to help other people and they choose not to, well then, what's their eating? Their eating is simply physical. That's Simchat Kreso. So the, it would seem that even though the Rambam doesn't quote this Gemara, possible, this is not... Um, uh, I wouldn't say I, I've proved proved anything, but it's possible that the Rambam has in mind that your table is also, your table is supposed to be the opportunity for more than just eating. Because if it's just eating, then there's something wrong with the eating itself. 
So even though the Rambam is only talking about on Yom Tov, this would seem to fit with, with what we are, uh, we're saying uh, now. Fascinating article in Anthropological Quarterly, uh, but, uh, back in 1988, Professor Susan Starr-Sered, she spoke with a bunch of little old ladies who had moved to Israel from various Middle Eastern countries, and she asked them about their life and specifically their being in charge of the food, their being the matriarch of the family. These women were not educated uh, formally, and yet they were the center of their family life and to some extent their, the family's home religious life as well. So she asked them a bunch of questions and she wrote up this article. So just two paragraphs from, from this article. The women whom she's talking about use food to care for the entire Jewish people, living and dead, known and unknown. Caring can be manifested in different ways, yet the women themselves emphasize that serving food to the hungry is the single most important mitzvah. That's, that's what they were told, maybe by their mothers, they're, from their perspective, there are a lot of mitzvot, but these uh, women who, back in the day when, presumably, you know, there were hungry people on the streets of Baghdad or uh, or wherever, wherever wherever they were they were coming from, for the woman to give food to the to to the poor, they view it as not just a mitzvah but the most important mitzvah, and it does say something about you and your community when you say X is the most important mitzvah. You can find a lot of statements in Chazal and rabbinic literature about a lot of different mitzvah. This is the most important mitzvah. That is the most important mitzvah. All, this outweighs all the other mitzvah. Since there are a bunch of statements like that, somebody who chooses one and says this is the most important mitzvah, even though they are quoting, they're also saying something about themselves. So, for example, um, when you see a statement uh, in the context of a, uh, a girl's seminary, a girl's uh, high school, whatever, that says that the most important mitzvah for a woman to do is to dress modestly. And I've seen that a number of times. Somebody who says that is rejecting all the other statements about mitzvot that women can practically do, and they're choosing this one, assuming for sake of argument that this is a mitzvah at all, but that is hardly a reflection of Jewish tradition on, on women, that that's the most important mitzvah. No, that, that, is, a, that, is, that is a contemporary uh, phenomenon in, uh, in Haredi circles. Anyway, um, so she goes on to, to quote them as, as saying to her, Professor Sarah, the anthropologist, the women explain that giving cooked food, as opposed to money to buy food, you know, classic tzedakah money, giving cooked food to the poor is the greatest religious act that a woman, parentheses, not a man, can perform, because the women are in charge of the food. Why is giving, so that since the women are in charge of the food, the tzedakah that they give through food is even greater than a man who presumably has money, access to uh, control of the money, but not, not control of the food, than, uh, greater than, than what he can give. The women clearly distinguish between giving cooked food and other forms of charitable assistance. And how do they support that? Well, one of the things was they told her a story, which happens to be directly at, in the Gemara, which is kind of funny because none of these old ladies had ever learned Gemara. Probably a lot of them didn't know how to read, but it's not the point. The story uh, was transmitted from mother to daughter, and it became the source of this value for them. And they... They told the anthropologist this story on a variety of occasions. A rabbi and his wife, they were, and if you want to look it up, it's in Tanit 23b. The rabbi and his wife and his wife were both very righteous. They gave to a poor family every day. He gave money and she gave cooked food. The moral of the story is that she was more righteous than he was. The context of the Gemara is that uh, they both pray for rain and she's answered before, before he is. The, the, the rain clouds gather closer to her than, than to him. Why? Because she brought prepared food to the poor and hungry people, while he, the rabbi, only brought money so that the poor homeless, homeless people would have to go to the market. This is the interpretation of the old ladies. So that the poor homeless people would have to go to the market and shop and cook for themselves. And how could they cook for themselves? They didn't even, didn't even have a, a kitchen. You know, they were homeless. So for them, this became the most important story of all the many stories in the Gemara, which tells them that what you the woman in charge of the kitchen of your home, what you have, act, have the ability to do is the most important mitzvah ever. 
is this the only source about mitzvot and which what's important? No, but it does point in that direction. It's kind of interesting that that this became not just one person told her, but a whole bunch of them. So that fits with the idea that we said earlier that how do you get kapara, how do you get atonement through your table? By giving food to poor people. So even though the women didn't quote that Gemara, that would certainly fit with their uh, the way that they interpret the uh, the story with the uh, the rabbi and his wife. Having said that, saying that what, uh, to 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 um, to give food to the poor, that's what makes your table so special. That is certainly what it says in the Gemara, but it's not the only approach. Here are a couple of varieties that we see in classic sources, or rather Rishonim interpreting classic sources. Source number four, Rashi. On the phrase, your table atones for you, not this Gemara, a different Gemara, a Gemara that uses this phrase but doesn't talk about the poor. So how, if you remove the, the mention of the poor, how is it, in, in what way can you be atoned for, okay, do, in what way is staying at your table so, uh, so uh, something like that gives you atonement? And the answer is, because you invite guests, and inviting guests is, is a mitzvah. And if you do the mitzvah, then you can be uh, you can get atonement. That's uh, that's Rashi's interpretation. A different one, which is Tosfot, on the same words, on the same words of a person's table atones. Again, not the Gemara that we quoted before, which mentions the poor, but the other Gemara, the Gadol Tosfot says that this Gemara is based on the other Gemara. What's the other Gemara, which we haven't seen yet? Sanhedrin Kuf Gimel. The Gemara says, I'm only quoting the relevant parts of the Gemara. I put it in, in brackets here in gray. Drinking. And some people read this Gemara to mean drinking, like literally drinking alcohol, but others say, no, it means sitting down, drinking, eating, whatever. And Tosot certainly would seem to apply to drinking and eating. Drinking is, is a great thing, or has great potential. It brings close together People who are far away from each other. The phrase, Mekarev Rechokim, Kirev Rechokim, in, in contemporary Orthodox um, terms, it's, you know, it's used in the context of bringing Torah to, uh, to people who are not so familiar with Torah, getting people to be more observant. That's Kirev. But when this phrase appears in the Gemara, it's talking about eating together. It's not talking about uh, bringing people closer to the Torah, it's having people get closer to each other by eating together, eating and or uh, drinking together. So Toso thinks that Gemara in Sanhedrin sheds light on this Gemara that your table can atone for you. How can it atone for you? Rashi says, through the mitzvah of a And Toso says, no, through the, it's technically not a mitzvah, but the Great value of bringing people closer together, which is easier to do if you are eating together. So that's why I call this section eating with other people, not just when you're doing the mitzvah of tzedakah, or according to Rashi, the mitzvah of but according to Tosfot, just by eating together, technically that isn't a mitzvah, but it's a value. It's a value that is that gives you atonement. And the way that Rabbi Salvechik pulls this together in the essay that we keep coming back to, here in source number six, is the su'uda. When you have an official meal, next week we'll talk more about the su'uda mitzvah, uh, a meal connected with the mitzvah. The su'uda is designed not only to satisfy man's physical needs, but also to take him out of his sheltered seclusion and loneliness and let him join the thou, as in Martin Buber's famous uh, phrase, the I, I and thou, uh, when relating to the other person as uh, somebody whom you respect, as opposed to an I-it relationship. Eating becomes a cohesive force, bringing together people who were shut up in their own small worlds and coalescing them into a community. The halacha is aware of the fact that a meal partaken together unites people, fosters friendship, and fashions a company of eaters. That's a funny phrase, a company of eaters that may in the long run become a community of God seekers and the God committed. See the way that Rabbi Salvechik made this into a spiritual thing, or rather, based on what we just saw in Tosfot, 
what's so great? And you could say it's not Tosfot. It, Tosfot ties it into Kapara, but it's a Gemara in, in Sanhedrin, drinking and or eating. They, it's great because it brings people together. So Rabbi Salvechik says it's great because it unites people. It creates and, and has the possibility of creating a community of people who are committed to God, people with similar values. Not that you can't eat with people of different values, but if you're talking about on a long-term basis, then presumably eating together with the same people can create a community of people with the same values. And then he goes on to say, when man is engaged in a carnal, like purely physical pursuit, such as eating, and his own need presses the most, like, I'm hungry, I want to eat, I'm not thinking about other people, I'm just thinking about me, those are my needs. Insisting on immediate remedial action that is insanely centered about himself. Very powerful formulation. You're eating because you're hungry, but you know what? You're crazy. You're crazy. It's, it's insane to only center on yourself. It's understandable because you're hungry, but there's something problematic about it. There's something insane, like messed up, skewed values, if you're only thinking about yourself. So when that happens, the Torah expects of the person attentiveness Kavana, paying attention to the need of the other self. And how do you pay attention to other people? The norm of charity comes to the poor. Rosalvichik is referring back to the Gemara that we started with. Invite not the rich, the one upon whom has, God has showered his blessings in abundance, but the poor, the destitute, the lonely and abandoned who crave food and companionship. There's a little bit reminiscent, not exactly the same, but a little bit like what uh, the Rambam said before, Aniim Umalim, Aniim Umare Nafesh. There are people who are financially poor, and there are people who are bitter. Rabbi Salvechik reinterprets that to mean people who are lonely. They crave food and companionship. At least some of the lonely people, they've got plenty of money and food of their own. What they need is to be invited. So Rabbi Salvechik takes these ideas, the idea of inviting people, having a meal with them when they're literally poor, that's obviously tzedakah, but also inviting the people who are lonely. The Rambam was talking about Yom Tov, but Rabbi Salvechik is talking about in general. Eat not your food alone. Share with others. Um, form a community of haves and have-nots, meaning your community should have both types of people in it, since the bread of which you partake is not yours but God's, it's out of his hand that you eat, which is a quote from, uh, from Divar Yaman. So Rabbi Salvechik, as part of answering the question of what can elevate eating from something purely physical like the animals to something holy, something that, that's, that's uniquely uh, human, it's you eat with other people. And sometimes eating with other people is literally tzedakah. Okay, but sometimes it isn't tzedakah. What is it? It's chesed. He doesn't even use the word chesed, but like, somebody's lonely, so don't just think of yourself. That's insane. What is sane? Thinking about a community, either the community that you have or the community that, that you want to have. So this, this wraps up the first part of, how, of the, answering the question, how do we make our table into, into God's table? Ben Adam Give to the poor if you can, but more realistically for us, because most of us don't live uh, in the context, uh, in a community in which poor people, you know, come to the door asking for food, inviting the lonely and other people who need an invitation. That's how uh, we make our our table God's table, and we deserve atonement. Okay, second answer to this question, also from Chazal. Well, this is what I would call ben adam la'atzmo, between you and yourself. It's not directly about other people, although, as we'll see shortly, Rabbi Salvechik is going to tie it into other people as well. If three people ate together at one table, and they didn't say words of Torah, it's as if they ate of sacrifices to the dead, which is presumably the dead God, sacrifices to, uh, to idols, which is... If we took it literally, it would be you know, one of the most serious sins at all. We're not talking about uh, literally, but still. And what's the source? Shnei Amar, as it says in Yeshayahu, maluki, this part of an extended critique uh, made by the prophet, all of their tables are maluki, they're filled with vomit. 
Zoah blima kom and excrement, and there's there's no room, like there's no room for people because these tables are so disgusting. This Mishnah is saying, what makes a table disgusting? Not having words of Torah at it. Aval, in contrast, the Mishnah continues, of three people ate at the same table, and they did say words of Torah over the table. There's that phrase. It's as if they ate of God's table. You think it's your table? No. By the words of Torah, you have made a God's table. As it says in Yechezkel, same Pesach we quoted earlier, source number one on, on page number one, and he said to me, this is the table in front of God. The other Gemara focused on the uh, combining this part of the Pesach with the other part of the Pesach. It's an altar, it's a table, how can it be both? This Drasha is based on Vaita Berilai. It's because he said to me, it's because he spoke words of Torah to me, that this became the table of God. So the same Pasuk points in a different direction. How do you make um how do you make your table special? How do you make it a spiritual thing? You say words of Torah. This is a uh, a famous, famous Mishnah. I just want to share with you a couple of interpretations which are not that well known. Uh, one or two of them I uh, I only discovered this year in, uh, in researching this Mishnah. And the first one is source number two is from Rav Moshe Tukachinsky. Uh He was the Mashkiach Ruchani at the Suabadka Yeshiva of Bnei Brak. He taught there for 40 years uh, until he died in 1988. And this is a collection of his ideas, of his Torah. He quoted this Mishnah and then he quoted Rabbeinu Yonah, one of the Rishonim, who especially has a, a lot of, uh, of uh, Musser, pietistic ideas. Rabbeinu Yonah paraphrases the Mishnah and, where it says, And he says, As if they ate from, they're sacrificing to idols. I mentioned this before, not everybody interprets the Mishnah this way, but Rabbi, Rabbeinu Yonah does. But this, this requires an understanding, requires interpretation. Uh, what, is there any Vodazara here? What? It's just people ate together. Presumably they ate kosher food. They said brachot before and after. They failed to say words of Torah. Okay. What a Vodazara? How, how is this a Vodazara? You could say it's bad. A lot of things that are bad without being like a Vodazara. And if it is like a Vodazara, who is sacrificing what what how is it like tell, tell me details how is this like a sacrifice to idols so rabbi tikachinsky answered his question by saying if somebody eats not for the sake of heaven remember we talked about that in the first class directing everything to god if somebody eats not for the sake of heaven but only for the benefit of their own body his body has become an idol. And the person, the person who is presumably the neshama, the, uh, the, the personality, who's making the choices, the person is bowing and sacrificing to the idol of their own body. Wow. That's how it's like a Vodazara. In other words, there's nothing wrong with the body as long as it's sanctified, as long as the uh, bodily needs are, are met in ways that are holy. But if they're met in ways that are not holy, and according to this Mishnah, by re- having the opportunity to share Torah in a group of three and choosing not to do so, that's bad. How bad is it? It's like your body has become an Avodazara because you have removed the spirituality from the body. It's just... Just an opportunity of eating. So Rabbi Salvechik said, that's like being an animal. And this is saying, that's like worshiping your body. You know, the phrase, my, my body is a temple, right? That's a problem. That would be a vodazara. The, the, as we said in the first uh, session, the Ramah speaks about the importance of keeping your body healthy in order to serve God. But if it's not in order to serve God, but just for its own sake, yeah, that's not literally a vodazara. That is like a vodazara. We want to avoid that. That's Rabbi Tukachinsky. 
a different approach, which is in um, the Tiferet Yisrael commentary on the Mishnah. If you ever see like very tall volumes of Mishnah commentary, people sometimes call it Yachin Boaz. Uh, it has Tosot Yom Tov on one side, Bartzinur on the other, and the bottom of the page is the Tiferet Yisrael commentary, which is also known as Yachin Boaz. Rabbi Yisrael Lifshitz. Um, in his commentary on this Mishnah, he says that a person has the capability of eating in order to live and not living in order to eat. That's your choice. You're going to need to eat, and in any case, the question is what, which is for which. And by eating to live, you are testifying about yourself that you are not an animal. So Rabbi Lifshitz is using the same, is thinking along the same lines as Rabbi Salvechik. Because in, what's an animal? In, for an animal, eating is just a physical thing, and that's okay for an animal. But you're not an animal. If you eat so that you can live, so that you can serve God, that, that's a very powerful statement that separates you from an animal. And how do you do that? You do that by, by sharing words of Torah. However, he then says, what's, he asks, what's the significance of three? Why does it have to be three people? Meaning, Torah is good, so you should always learn Torah when you're, uh, when you're eating say words of Torah, think words of Torah, whatever. Uh, why specifically three people? Uh, presumably, so he answers his, his own question. And he says, if you have one person who eats alone or two people eat together and, they, and there's no uh, Devar Torah, there's no, uh, no words of Torah being uh, shared, we can judge people favorably and say, Shema Enohem Penai, maybe it's because they have no time. They're not eating in a group. They're just, they just happen to sit down at the same table. Okay, so I'm in a hurry. Goodbye. I'll make sure to say my bracha before I run out. Run out. But if you have three people eat together, presumably they have time. If they didn't have time to speak to each other, have a conversation, in which case there's Torah, it should be Torah. If they didn't have time, why are they sitting down to eat together? The very fact that three people sit sit down to eat together implies that they have some time. They're not just eating in a hurry. Someone who's eating in a hurry is going to eat by themselves. So, if um, what, what, why why specifically three? Because there's a halacha. You're talking about uh, eating bread anyway. Um, three. The, the technical obligation is, is for, for men. It's an option for women. But the three people are eating at the same table. Well, then, if one of them finishes before the other, they're not allowed to leave. They have to wait for the zimun. The one person says, and then they, they say, together. So that's totally standard among you know people keeping halacha uh, who, uh, who are eating. Point is, if somebody knows that they would have to wait for Zimun, and they're in a hurry, then they're not going to eat with two, with two other people because they don't want to be obligated to Zimun, and that's okay. But if once they sat down to eat with two other people, then they, there's no excuse. You can't be in such a hurry, or else you wouldn't have eaten with two other people. Anyway, I don't know if that's uh, compelling, but it's an interesting uh, possibility. We said before with Rabbi Tikachinsky to try to understand how uh, choosing not to share words of Torah is like a Bodhazara. Two other commentaries who are roughly from the same time period, and they're both uh, rabbis who were Megureshe Sfarad, they were expelled with the other Jews from, uh, from Spain, Rabbi Yosef Yavitz, known as the Hechassid Yavitz, the, the pious uh, Yavitz, and the Mayor Ibn Gabai. Um, they give an interesting suggestion uh, to, uh, to explain what this learning corresponds to. Meaning, if you want to say that the table is like an altar, which we didn't say in Perkei but we did say in the Gemara that we started with, Shulchano Adomel Lemizbeach, your table is like an altar. Okay, if your table is like an altar, then how do the details correspond? So, 
uh, Rav Yavid says, we don't have sacrifices, but feeding the poor, and according to Rashi, having guests, and according to Tosfat, even just like eating with other people, that counts as a carbon. It has a special spiritual status as if it were a carbon. We don't have carbon, no, but this is like... And taking the place of the singing in the Beit HaMikdash by the Levim, Your words of Torah count as if you were the Levim singing in the Beit HaMikdash. So it's interesting how he takes the idea, he weaves together the uh, different aspects of the Beit HaMikdash to correspond to different aspects of what we have now. So in other words, just to pull together what we've said so far, the value of eating with other people just to be with them, and to get closer to them, that's that's a value, and especially if they're poor. And the value of sharing words of Torah, what does that correspond to? Oh, that's like the singing uh, of the uh, of the Levium in uh, in the temple. A variation of this is in uh, Rav Meir ibn Gabai, Tolat Yaakov, and he says there's Torah Avod on Gemilat Chasadim, right? Uh, from one of the first Mishnah, uh, Mishnah uh, Torah learning and serving God, presumably with uh, with prayer and uh, and Chesed, helping other people. These are the three pillars that the world stands on. So he says that if you have um, one second, right? He says first of all, feeding the poor is like bringing a carbon. That's the same thing that we just saw. And having words of Torah, it's like the Anshe Ma'amad. That that would be. The um, uh, the people who represented representing the Jews who were standing there in the Beit Hamikdash, uh, so that the all the sacrifices would be in the name of the uh, uh, of the Jewish people. Berakon that is like the singing of the um, of the of the Kohanim and the the prayer that they would say in the Beit Hamikdash. And he says, and look at that. You have Torah words of Torah are Torah. You have Avoda. You're serving God through Berakon and Gemilad Chasadim, you are doing Chesed if you invite the poor and possibly just invite regular guests and possibly just eat with regular people. Torah, Avodah, Gemilad Chasadim, having them all come together, that's pretty impressive. Meaning, according to this, it's not one or the other, it's, be, it's only if you have them both. If your meal is not just eating by yourself, you're eating with other people in a way that is chesed, and you are serving God with the brachot before and after, and you're saying words of Torah, you now have the three pillars of the world together. That is pretty impressive. Most things that we do, most individual uh, activities that we do cannot have all of them together. Rabbi Salvechik pulls this together and he says, this is still on the same essay that we've been going through, one paragraph at a time. He says the Chesed community exists at two levels. And this is going to pull together the last two pages. At one level, the individual shares his material possessions with other members of the community who are less fortunate. This is the helping or sharing community. And this is what we've seen that not only literally giving tzedakah or, or food to the poor, but also Rabbi Salvechik said, this is, the, this is the same person in the same essay, inviting the lonely counts uh, as uh, being uh, those who are less fortunate. That's at one level. At the second level, so you're sharing your food with, with other people. At the second level, the individual gives away the spiritual goods with which God has, has blessed him. First one is material possessions. Second is spiritual possessions. You let other members of the community get a glimpse of the beautiful treasures you have acquired through painstaking effort in the same manner that the Torah requires economic man. Rabbi Salvech always brings things back to blank man, halachic man. Religious man, economic man. In the same manner, the Torah requires economic man to open a storage room or a safe deposit box and let others share in his savings, give tzedakah, give, give food to the poor. So too does the, does the Torah require of a spiritual man to open his mind, his heart, his existence. Invite others. Let them share your thoughts about the day, your experiences of prayer, of God, man, and the world. Notice it's not about literally quoting words of Torah, reading words of the Torah from the book. No, no, it is for this purpose... Divrei Torah includes reflecting on life, God, relating to God. This is the Torah Chesed community, the teaching community. So for Rabbi Salvechik, making your table God's table works at two levels. One of them is sharing the material, that's the food, with other people. And the other is sharing the spiritual, that's the Torah, or by extension, 
your thoughts about God, man, uh, and the world, which is not necessarily what we usually understand as, uh, as Torah. Fasting, the Rabbi Salvechik, ties it all together. And now, let's briefly look at a few customs that are mentioned by the Achronim that not everybody does all of these, but just you should know these are out there. Each custom has one or more rabbis saying, and the reason you should do this is to remind you that your table is God's table. So this is, now we're talking about Minhagim. The first one is the well-known one because it is literally in the Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah says it. There's a mitzvah to have salt on the table before you eat your bread. Notice this is not a Shabbat mitzvah. This is Siman Kuf Samach Zayin. It's about eating. We have salt on the table. Some people think it's in order to make the bread taste better. It might be that also. But there's a spiritual reason. And what's his, sore, what, what is he, what's his reason? Ki HaShulchan because the table is or is supposed to be like the altar, and he says more or less what, what we just mentioned before from the Migurashe Sfarad, if the table is an altar, then the food is your sacrifice. If the food is your sacrifice, well, then it says near the beginning of Sefer Vayikra, you should have salt on every carbon. That doesn't mean you have to literally put salt on the, on your food, but by having the salt on your table, you are reminding yourself that this table is supposed to be like an altar. And the Mishnah um adds in parentheses, your table is like an altar because you are giving food to uh, to the poor. Meaning he quotes the Gemara that, that we started with. And the Shah Hatziyun, same, same rabbi, the Mishnah Barura, puts in a footnote, and for the same reason that we want to remember that the table is, has the potential to be, to be God's table, Asur rog kina ala shulchan. Don't kill a bug on the table. I guess you're supposed to sweep it onto the floor first before you, uh, you squash it like a bug. Um, why? You're not allowed to kill a bug? We're not talking about Shabbat. If you kill a bug on the table, it shows a lack of respect for the table. Now, this is not a well-known source, but whoever does say it, Achronim, whichever Achronim say it, they tie it in to the Shulchan is like Mizbeach. If it's like Mizbeach, then you treat it with special, uh, special respect. And with that in mind, look at source number seven. The Ruvos Ephraim of Ephraim Greenblatt was asked, why is it that we, we tell our kids, don't stand on the table, don't sit on the table, why? It's just a table. There's no halacha here. And he says, he quotes, the Shulchan HaTahor, appropriate name for, for a book, the, the Pure Table, by Rav Aaron Roth, who says, you should not sit or stand on, on the table because Shulchan because your table is supposed to be like an altar, and therefore, as part of remembering, this is supposed to be a holy thing, we have to treat it as if it's holy. It is not literally holy. The same way that presumably a custom developed, uh, a, a, a boy's uh, yarmulke falls on the floor, so he picks it up and kisses it. Really? According to all opinions, there's no kedusha in a yarmulke. There's no holiness at all. Why would somebody kiss it? Because it has taken on the connotations, the associations of something that's part of, of serving God, even though it is not a halachic requirement, but it's understandable. With this in mind, um, I want to go back to the comment that I skipped from before that Mark asked, since we're talking about the table being a Mizbeach, can you talk about removing knives before benching Berkadamazon? Well, here we are, Mark. I must have anticipated your question. Source number four. It's not a requirement, but it's a minhag. Mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch, there's a custom of covering the knife during Berkat HaMazon, presumably covering it or removing it is, ends up being the same thing. And there's a custom of not doing that, not, not worrying about that on Shabbat and Yom Tov. And, and why? The Magen of Ram on that Shulchan Aruch says, because, why, why would you cover, cover the, the knives? Because your table is supposed to be like the altar. So what? Just like we said earlier, the, uh, every time there's a carbon, there's supposed to be salt. So too, there's a halacha in built, when building the Mizbeach, 
Lo tanifa lehem barzel. You can't, uh, you can't uh, use any iron in 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 making it. You got you got to keep the iron away from the mizbeach. So you could say, well, what does it have to do with berkat mazon? I'm not sure. Maybe maybe. It was not realistic to, I mean, you can't eat your food without a knife. Okay, but when you're done with the eating, you remove the knives to say, this table is supposed to be like an altar. And the knives, okay, our knives are not literally iron, but the idea, the idea of removing the knife is to remind you that the table is supposed to be holy. Even though it is certainly not an obligation, the Shulchanach just says it's a custom. And then the question is, what does that have to do with Shabbat? And, uh, you know, you could say, it's a, the, the Magan Avram says, you could argue that technically it doesn't apply unless your knife is made of iron. Okay? Um, but it doesn't matter. The point is, for those who do it, so it's not necessary, but for those who do it, the idea is one more reminder. Not just, have, just like having salt on the table, removing the knives from the table, not when you're eating, but when you're done eating, Remove the knives from the table because the table reverts to the status of a, a misbeah. A couple of, of uh, well, this one's really not so well known. The Shua, the Shnei Brit, major Kabbalist from the early 1600s, he says, since the table is or is supposed to be the base of, of holiness, it should be covered and it should be clean. And he's not talking about Shabbat. Meaning of covering the table on Shabbat, that's because of the man, the covering above and below the man. We discussed that briefly. That your table should always be covered and you should treat it with tzniut. In other words, humility. Respect for the sake of the holiness that you bring to the table through the good deeds that, that, that you do at your table with, with your uh, um, uh, pure intention. So really, you're not ha- you don't, there's no obligation to cover your table. But if you do, for the schwa anyway, he thinks that that's a way to remind yourself that this is not just a piece of wood or plastic or whatever. This is a, a platform for holiness. And so we remember that, he suggests. I, don't, I have not seen this quoted in many later sources, but he thinks that, that, that therefore it's a good idea to use a tablecloth. Two achronim. And the, these will be the last two sources before we, we finish this uh, this sheet. Two achronim want to tie in the shulchan domo They want to tie it into halachot that we already know, not to come up with new things, which is what we were saying until now. The Tarat Chaim, Rav Avram Chaim Shore on commentary on Gemara Sanhedrin suggests that that's that the, the reason for the halacha, which we haven't seen yet, when you make a motzi, almost and nothing to do with Shabbat in general. When you make a motzi, it's preferable to make a motzi on a kikar shalem, on a whole loaf. So you're going to eat a bagel, and you want to cut the bagel? That's fine. First make the motzi on the bagel, and then cut it. Why? In other words, that is the halacha. The halacha is it's preferable to make a motzi on a whole and not just a piece. But why, Tarot Chaim suggests? Because your table is like an altar, okay, the altar, and when you brought a carbon in the days of the Beit HaMikdash, it was very important for everything about the carbono to be perfect. No blemishes. You could not have a blemish, uh, a physical imperfection in the animal. And even the Makriv, the Kohen, bringing the, the, uh, the offering was not allowed to have a mum. We read that um, in, uh, in Parsha Emor. So you remind yourself you make the association for yourself that your eating is reminding you of the altar and things associated with it by, all else being equal, choose the whole loaf. And so too, he says, there's another halacha, which is, if you are, uh, if you have to, uh, if you're making a bari priyagafen, you're drinking wine or grape juice for a ritual purpose, which could be after Berkat Amazon, or it could be making Kiddush, or Havdal, or any other times that we, uh, um, we, uh, we say there's a halacha that that cup is not supposed to be pagum. So pagum means literally messed up, but what does it mean in, pra- in practice? It means if somebody already drank from that cup, you can't, even just a sip, you're not allowed to use that cup with that wine for a mitzvah. You, um, you, 
uh, you you can get at, around it by putting a little bit more wine or grape juice in it. That's halacha, right? So why? So he suggests the reason for that halacha that uh, a that when we drink wine for uh, ritual purposes, the the cup cannot be pogum. It's because this is like a mizbeach. And on the Mizbeach, everything had to be perfect. And if somebody drank from this cup, it is not a perfectly full cup of wine anymore. Therefore, it has to be filled up, not because it has to be full, but because full will be perfect. And you need to think in those terms, basically, according to the Torah Chaim, not that you need to do new things in order to, to remind yourself that the table is like an altar, but that when you follow these halachot about choosing the loaf that, or bagel that is, that is whole and uh, making sure that the, the wine is not, uh, is not pagum, that those halachot are, he suggests, because of this idea that the table is like, is like the altar. One more uh, idea. I don't do this, but I know a bunch of people do. Right before they were part of Natilat Yadai and washing before uh, uh, before eating bread, they say a pasuk, Hashem. I will wash my hands with cleanliness or to make them clean, and I will go around your altar. Pasuk in Tehillim Chavav. Why? I understand. I, if somebody asked me why, why would anybody say that pasuk? I'd say it's a pasuk about washing your hands. So you say it when you wash your hands. He says no. It's washing the hands tied into the Mizbeach in the same Pasuk. So the Shulchan is like the Mizbeach, and therefore, when we wash our hands before eating, it is like the Kohen washing his hands and feet before coming close and doing the Avodah. So one more connection that we, we just saw on this page. The, the Mizbeach needed, uh, uh, Karbanot needed salt, and... Um, and you weren't supposed to build the Mizbeach using iron. And uh, a carbon had to be uh, perfect. And the person bringing it had to be physically perfect. And, uh, and now we're saying, saying one, more, one more connection, that the Kohanim needed to wash their hands before, uh, before doing the Avodah. So whether or not that's the reason why the rabbis instituted the Teot Yadayim, saying this Pasuk is saying, that's how I am making it meaningful. That I'm washing my hands in order to to be like like the Kohanim. Okay, and now let's look at recipes and dessert ideas for the parsha, which is the parsha of uh, this week in uh, in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, I uploaded the ones for parsha Chukat again to to the website if anybody wants them. A couple of ideas. I saw people making very complicated uh, donkey uh, desserts. Okay. Right. Most of us don't have that much time to spare. So let's talk about two ideas and two uh, applications for each one. One of them is in the blessings uh, that uh, Bilam gives uh, to the Jews. One of them is Darach Kochav Miyakov. A star will come out of, of Yaakov and he will be, uh, uh, he will be the, uh, the, uh, the leader, possibly Mashiach, whatever. Anyway, so star cookies. Okay, it's a pasuk. Um, and it's a fulfillment of something nice. Okay. But what if you don't want to make cookies? You have people who have healthy diet requirements. Well, then in that case, you make a fruit salad and you cut one of the fruits in the shape of a star. Here you go. A different application of the same, um, the same pasuk. Okay. One other thing in in the brachot given by, uh, by Bilam is, this is the famous one, Matovu Alecha Yaakov. How great are your tents, O Yaakov? Okay, well, how do you make a tent, something that reminds you of a tent that's a dessert? So Ilana Weiss, uh, on the website Jewish Women Talk, said that, quote-unquote, a tent made out of ice cream cones filled with brownies, also known as brown, brownie cones. Uh, the, the, and she doesn't even bother with the details. Take your favorite brownie recipe, Put the batter into the cones and bake. And then you have to serve them upside down. Because when you serve it upside down, then it looks like a tent. Okay. Fair enough. If you're more ambitious, then there's, this is from uh, the South African uh, baker, Orit uh, Tabak. We saw something of hers uh, a couple weeks ago. Chocolate mousse pyramids. Okay. Right? This is what it looks like down at the bottom. Um, 
And uh, if you are really interested in this, I recommend going to the website that I have the address of over here. I copied the instructions, but I didn't copy the photos in between each stage. It's that kind of, uh, of recipe. But ingredients are very simple. Chocolate chips, Rich's Whip, and margarine. You know, you can't go wrong with that. Of course, granted, there are 12 steps. And uh, I, I would probably feel too intimidated to do this. But what you end up with is something that looks, looks more like a tent than an ice cream cone does. Uh, but uh, anyway, I just thought it's interesting that different people from different countries come up with, look at the same pasukim and come up with, with uh, different, uh, different dessert uh, suggestions or, uh, or serving ideas. Okay, our time is up. Um, I think I think we went through all the all the comments. Does anybody want to bring up any other issues, either writing in the chat or unmuting yourself and uh, and talking? Thank I, you very much, Kaltuv, and have a good week. I have to go. Thank you, Kaltuv. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You too. Okay. I just wanted to say that I think it's really interesting because a lot of times people look at like all these Parsha desserts and stuff and think, oh, it's so cute, it's so funny, how adorable. But really, what you gave, the shoe you gave today is like a defense for this. This is serious because if you're serving a dessert that looks like this, you're like virtually guaranteed to show Divrei Torah at the table. And now you have just like uplifted the entire meal for everybody present. Yeah. Um, and so it's even though it's usually presented as like a fun thing for kids, and it certainly can be. Uh, but but yeah, just the idea of a connection to the Parsha in the food, you know, something we didn't mention before, but there's no rule that the different Torah at the table have to be about the Parsha. Shocking, but true. People, uh, understandably, want to give the Divrei Torah on the Parsha, both because, you know, assuming that it's on Shabbat, well, we just read it, or even if it isn't on Shabbat, yeah, everybody who is going through the same Parsha, <laughs> except that you're in different countries, but if you're in the same country, everybody is going to have the same Parsha that week. And so as not to have repetition from week to week, so it makes sense. Okay, fine. But um, it's funny that people just, they get so used to it that they, they assume that, you know, the Torah has to be, has to be on the Parsha. Or uh, at, if not that, then at least something your kids, you know, learned in school that week. But no, somebody can say, here's something, here's an idea that I heard, you know, and then people are waiting for the, them to tie it into the Parsha. I'm like, no, there's no tie into the Parsha. Why? Who said that there, uh, that there has to be? Um, so yes, so this is one way of making sure that you're every week you're doing different food. You know, some people like to have different food every week, but that's all, that can be a lot of time, a lot of effort. So if you have the same food every week, but you change the dessert based on uh, the partial or possibly regular food, I haven't been choosing those mostly, uh, but, um, there are a bunch of, we, we saw a couple of them. Um, there are a bunch of, um, regular food ideas that, uh, uh, that tie into the Parsha. And some of them are a little weak. I, I tend not to bring those here, but like uh, there was a recipe I saw today that, uh, that involves uh, alfalfa, um, not a dessert, you know, part of a salad. And then when you're serving it, you say, I put an alfalfa because everybody knows that that's donkey food, you know, and for, uh, for Billum's, uh, Billum's donkey. So does that count as words of Torah? Die. Let's say, let's say, probably, probably. Um, I just want, wanted to to add in terms of like what counts of words of Torah. I don't know if this was actually said by the Vilna Gon. I'm guessing that it wasn't, but it's it's reported in the name of the Vilna Gon that you can fulfill the uh, obligation obligation the, the the value of saying words of Torah at a meal if you quote the Mishnah that says you're supposed to say words of Torah at the meal I wouldn't recommend doing that in general both because everybody's heard that already and uh, because people usually expect something a little bit more but uh, I guess if you're dealing with people who are you know who are in a hurry you know let's do the Zimun and get out of here so you could be Yotze with that can you really be Yotze by just by quoting the Perkyavo well according to this Teaching in the name of the Vonagon, you can. But even if that's not correct and that's not good enough, and the Vonagon is incorrect, or whoever said it, even if that's incorrect, by quoting that opinion, that opinion is definitely Torah. So that would be uh, that would be good enough. And then if you, if you say that, 
that whole thing that I just said now. Well, I said I heard something even crazier, which is that if you're really in a pinch, it's okay as long as you say Al-Nahar-Bavel or if you say Shir Hamalos because now you've got actual Divrei Torah that you're saying at the meal. I was like, wait, that's kind of lame, people. But that's what the defense was. It was they're trying to get people to say Al-Nahar-Bavel. So, right. You know. <laughs> right. So I think... I think I heard once, I don't remember where I saw this, that this would explain, even though it, it does seem to be pretty lame, it could be that the same way that in, um, the same way that there's a custom of, at, uh, in, in a daily um, uh, morning minion for, uh, right before starting Sukkot Zimra, there's a Rabbi Shema Omer. Uh, the 13 uh, ways of interpreting the Torah. Why do we say that? It has nothing to do with davening. It has to do with learning. The simple, straightforward answer is in order to have a Kaddish de Rabbanon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right before davening starts, before the, the formal davening starts. But what do you need to say Kaddish de Rabbanon? You have to quote words of Torah. Okay? So let's quote these words of Torah in order to have the Kaddish de Rabbanon. Okay. So it could be pretty sure I saw this somewhere. It could be that the custom of saying Shir Hamalot before Berkat Amazon on days when Tachanun isn't said and is in order to, at the very least, fulfill the technical requirement of words of Torah during the meal. Maybe. Even according to that, it's not that you should rely on that. But... (laughs) It could be that that, that, that would be a, uh, a yeah. parallel. Maybe, maybe not. Um, okay, a bunch of things to, to think about. Any, uh, any other comments before we wrap it up? Okay, so I wish everybody a uh, good rest of the week, a Shabbat Shalom, and I uh, hope to see you next week for uh, number five and last in, uh, in the series. Take care. Thank you.